Welcome to Darkly Lit, where we sneak into the cemetery at night in hopes of summoning ghosts with incredible sex appeal. Mm. <laughs> I am your host, Kayla King, and I am joined by um, my other two wonderful hosts. Uh, first up, we have Sade. Hello! You know what? We should have stopped by the Mexicana because I would kill for like a really nice toasty concha right now or even a mazapan. God, you're making me hungry. Stop it. <laughs> and and uh, my other co-host, uh, David King. To quote one of my favorite philosophers, St. Jay, in English, there are girls who have a penis, mm-hmm. boys who have a vulva, and transphobics without teeth. <laughs> uh, and you translated that from Spanish? Yeah, that's an act. That's a line in the in the book that you see graffitied on a wall. Uh, as put there by the local gang of uh, LGBTQ positive delinquents. Nice. <laughs> um, so we just finished the book Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. This book actually just came out this year, September 2020. Who wants to give the summary first? Or who wants to give the summary? <laughs> uh, I, I will volunteer. Uh, and I apologize now if I ramble, if I go off on tangents about my favorite boys um, <laughs> or about my favorite snacks or food or tamales. Um. <laughs> there are so many good, good boys and so many good, good food. Yes. Okay. This book, first off, wonderful. If you haven't read it yet, pause the podcast, go read it, and then come back and we'll have a good time. So our story begins <laughs> with uh, the main protagonist, uh, Yadriel, and his uh, cousin, Maritza, and they are breaking, well, they're, well, yes, they're in the cemetery. They're not exactly breaking into, but they are breaking into the old church that belongs to uh, their family community, which happens to be a community of brujex, of brujos and brujas, which the easiest way to translate that is just, is which is Latin X, which is um and multicultural like i guess a lot of them they all come from different uh hispanic communities which i thought was really cool but the reason they are breaking into this old church that the community doesn't use anymore is because they are going to hold a secret little coming of age ritual for Gabriel so that he can become a brujo and the reason they have to do it in secret is because his family won't let him uh participate uh, in his quinces, uh, to really to kind of initiate that as a community because he is trans and um, because he identifies as male, as, as a guy. Never had a trans brujo before. Uh, they don't know if they're Santa Muerte, their lady of death that they, they worship and that's where they get their powers, uh, is okay with that. So Yadriel is kind of forced to do it in secret with the help of his super supportive and super badass cousin uh, Maritza, who made him his portaje and his portaje. The portaje is a very important object for the brujos and brujas. It is kind of what they use to to use their powers. Um, the male brujos will usually have a dagger, and brujas will have a something like a rosary. I think they. There were all variations of the rosary in both. But yeah, but it's like, like you know, your wizard has your wand. They have their portaje. And so Maritza made uh, Yadriel's portaje, and they do the ritual, and they are shocked that it works. And he's like, sweet, I'm a brujo. But then uh, before they even get a chance to celebrate, they are hit with this terrible pain 
that all the brujex experience when someone of their own dies uh, and because of the the intense pain of it they know it wasn't a natural death they're like oh shit one of our kind one of our one of our community members is just murdered uh, so they go to try and find out what's happening. They realize that another of uh, Yadriel's cousins, Miguel, is missing. Uh, and they're pretty damn sure he's dead. But so they're all like, we got to find the body. We got to figure out what's going on. And Yadriel really wants to help. But he's kind of pushed aside. He's not exactly 100% like help because of his trans identity. And he feels especially disconnected from his father because his father is his father happens to be the leader of this community of Bruhex. And there is a nasty little moment where he, Yadriel is very insistent on wanting to help. And I forget the wording exactly, but Yadriel's father, Enrique, or we can just call him Kike. I'm going to call him <laughs> Kike. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's the nickname when, when, if you, for, for Enrique. Yeah, I have an uncle, Kike, that's why. <laughs> and uh, he makes this comment of like, all the brujos are gonna go do this, or you, you know, or you stay here with all the brujas or all the other women, something like that to that extent. And it's very hurtful for Yadriel who has been trying for very long to be accepted for his trans identity and who, you know, not, to be a part of his community the way that he believes he is because he, he wants to be a brujo and Tanto Muerte has blessed him to be a brujo and he like, yeah, but he can't say that just yet. He has to like, he feels the need that he really needs to prove it before he uh, tells his family. So pretty much uh, Yadriel and Maritza uh, kind of go back to, was it the abandoned church? Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of maybe like, oh, maybe we'll find something there. Or they get something draws them to them there and they find a, a necklace with a little pendant of a saint jude pendant there and they're like well this might be miguel's if his spirit is tethered to it uh we can we can summon him everyone's trying to find his portaje because if they can summon his spirit with it they can find out how he died um so they despite knowing that it's probably not miguel's they're like let's, let's summon the spirit tied to this uh pendant and they end up summoning the recently deceased Boy, delinquent, dumb boy. Oh my god, don't get me started. Julian Diaz, who, when they first summoned him, he's all like, grr, grumpy, angry. And I was like, oh yeah, angry, delinquent, badass, delinquent. And then you find out he's just a big, dumb baby boy. And I'm just like, I love you even more. <laughs> I love this guy so much. He's just a big, dumb baby, and I love him. It has a type and it's him. Oh, no. As soon as I was reading about Julian, I'm like, Sade's going to just, <laughs> <laughs> this is totally Sade's boy. Uh, he is my boy. I love him so much. I just, I want to cry. I love him. Anyway, they summon Julian and they're like, well, shit, you're not the spirit we wanted. And dude's like, what the fuck? And they try to release him. He does a little cool thing where like a golden string comes out from pendant. It was his St. Jules pendant, St. Jude's pendant, belonged to Jules. It was his, his father gave it to him and it's what's tethering his spirit from moving on. And so this like gold string comes out from the pendant to Jules' chest. And when Yadriel tries to cut it with uh, his portaje, he's unable to. And he's like, well, shit, what, what's that mean? Uh, Cause he's never seen that before. 
And we're speculating, is it because something went wrong with their ritual? But what do we don't know? So they settle that they have to keep uh, Julian around as a secret and because he won't let them uh, move him move him on. Uh, first, he want, Julian is insistent that he wants to make sure that his friends are okay because the last thing he remembers before dying was uh, his friends getting his friend getting jumped and then him going to the rescue and then nothing so he's like i need to make sure my friends are okay that they weren't also killed or whatnot so reluctantly yadriel maritza agree and yadriel sneaks this dead ghost boy sorry spirit we're not gonna use the word ghost <laughs> this dead boy this very cute dumb dead boy uh into <laughs> his room <laughs> then proceeds to keep him up all night almost all night and trashes his room and like tries to like use his spirit powers. <laughs> then they take him to school and then they finally go in search of um, Jules' friends, who we learn is a, a little group of delinquents. And at first at school, they hear some bad rumor stuff about uh, Jules and his friends and whatnot. But then we actually get to meet them when they find them under, what was it like an underpass or something? Yes. And we have, uh, Flaca, who is also trans, and Yadriel recognized because they had like a moment in school before Flaca started, stopped, uh, before she stopped going to school. And then we have Omar, mm -hmm. who, as what did, how did Jules put it? He's all bite, no bark. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then there is Rocky, who also seemed pretty badass. And I was like, I want to see some more. I want to see Maritza and Rocky because I bet they would be a badass couple. Anyway, and then there is the sweet angel cinema baby, Luca. <laughs> oh, I didn't think it like the second he appears, I was like, oh, sweet child. I just want nothing but to protect you. Sorry, I, I, I keep clapping because I'm excited. No, I, I didn't think about it, but yeah, Luca is also your type as well. He is oh awesome. my god, I have a lot of types. But yeah, yeah Jules do. and Luca are my favorite. I also have lots of love for Yadriel, but sorry. Jules, Luca, I love them so much. So things don't go so well because they're trying to inf get information from uh, Jules' friends. Because Maritza and uh, Yadriel are both there, and they Jules is obviously there with him, but he's a spirit, so he can't communicate to them. And it's not going so well. Jules, Jules loses his temper. They don't trust Yadriel. And so they kind of walk away from that, only knowing that someone had tried to jump Luca, and, Yad and Jules went to help him, and they all scattered, and they haven't been able to find Jules since and there's been no reports of uh, anybody finding Jules body so they don't know he's dead so they start to head back home but they realize they'd been followed by Luca who says he can help them and the next day he helps them go see Jules older brother Rio who works at a mechanic shop um, that he and Jules also happen to live above and uh, sometimes Luca and the other kids will crash there too and shit doesn't go well there either. And let me fucking tell you how much I fucking love Rio too. <laughs> oh um, cause like, okay. Cause he's also, he's kind of like the reformed delinquent. Like maybe he like, like, yeah. Cause he, they had said he had, okay. 
had the way he was kind of pulled into the little family group of friends was like, okay, he was there. And then like, he got pulled into this gang and like Rio went and got him out. Cause he used to be part of that gang. And like, so he's like a reformed delinquent kind of cleaned up, got himself work a good job, steady job. Cause he was trying to take care of Jules and his friends. And so like Rio, I love him so much too, because he is like the angry, like, just doesn't talk about his emotions kind of delinquent that I also really fucking love. <laughs> and then when he like gives Luca the chocolate cake, he just like kind of shoves it at him and Luca's just like, yay cake. I'm just like, I love these boys so much. Okay. So the conversation don't go so well with Rio because Rio's like, who the hell are you? And like, how do you know Jules? And Rio is convinced that Jules has run off because they had a fight. And these two boys don't know how to talk about their emotions. Like, God damn it, boys. Boys, please learn to cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to cry. They aren't able to learn a lot from Rio either. And they, no one can still find Miguel. And Day of the Dead is coming up because this happens like a couple days before uh, Halloween. And then we get to, I'm probably missing a bunch of stuff, but I am rambling very much. We get to Halloween night and they settle that they need to let Jules move on because he has this attack at one point, I think at the end of the second night after they meet with Rio. Mm -hmm. He's doing pretty good in spirit form, hanging out, learning how to like float things and touch things, getting along with Yadriel's really cute kitty. And uh, suddenly while they're just vibing, he gets this like weird attack and then like, he starts bleeding from his chest, which implies like, oh shit, maybe he like was stabbed to death was my thought. And uh, he like flickers out for a second, we'll just say. And Jules ex is expressing his concern about becoming maligno, which we learn uh, earlier on is uh, something that happens when spirits linger too long in the living world is they essentially they they turn rotten and they, they turn bad. They, they're not themselves anymore. They lose control and they become a danger uh, to the living around them. And so they decide that they're going to spend one more day together. Please tell me, am I missing something before I get to this? I think they go to see Rio, but then when they're coming back, they get attacked by Tito, who has gone maligno. And that's what kind of sets this <laughs> Oh, up. yeah, that's right. That's what makes them decide. Yes. Okay. That's what makes them decide. Well, that's what makes Jules decide that he needs to move on. And uh, he wants to do it right after that. But Yadriel, who has fallen for a dead boy... I mean, who who wouldn't? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Especially a dead a dead dumb baby dead boy. Um, <laughs> doesn't isn't ready to let go of him. And all this time, I have forgotten to mention uh, Yadriel's uh, one his awesome badass uh, abuelita Lita, mm -hmm. uh, which is well, Lita is just short for abuelita. <laughs> yeah. But um, and his uncle who is. Uh, super supportive to Yadriel and he feels very close to his uncle because his uncle has also experienced that sense of being um, an outcast or a black sheep of, from the family because his uncle, older, his father's older, but Yadriel's father's older brother. He was meant to be the leader of the community, but because he was born with so little um, magic ability, like uh, he had to be passed over in that responsibility. So he's kind of just like there. He's he's part of the family, obviously, but he doesn't have 
the role of a brujo. And so he bonds, Gazriel bonds with him because they're both kind of like the outcasts. So we have a, a few moments, you know, when when Yadriel is upset, like when his father first made that initial comment back in the beginning, his uncle will show up and be like super supportive and help console his feelings. So let me, I forgot to say that, that's important because when we get to Halloween night, um, Yadriel and Jules are having a fun day together alone and then they go to the beach party and then they kiss on the beach the times the amount number of times that i like squealed and just like <laughs> screamed into my hands throughout this book <laughs> I was listening to the audio mm-hmm. and um avi rogue who does the narration wonderful job a wonderful job but yeah so they they finally get back after their fun night together and uh jules is like cool you ready yeah does no i'm like do it anyway so cute uh but then when he tries to cut the string again it doesn't go through and they're like what is happening why can't i release your spirit and then suddenly uh jules has his attack again or he's bleeding and his eyes roll back and he disappears and this time he doesn't come back and Maritza shows up and is like, what happened? He's gone, like, but this wasn't normal. And then, how do they get to the under part? I... But Miguel didn't show up because now it's it's midnight on- Match midnight, so that's first day of Dia de los Muertos. And I completely left out that on Dia de los Muertos, it's a huge fucking deal for the Brujex community because all of the deceased Brujex, including the recently passed mother of the Adriel are coming back and it, they're gonna like have a huge party. And there's also uh, kind of like a presentation of all the, the new Brujex who came of age that year. And they were hoping that since Miguel died, they, he would come back that day to tell them what happened to him, how he died, but he doesn't come back. And it's like, oh no. And then they, f- oh, and then there's like these daggers that are missing. The Jaguar daggers. The Jaguar daggers, yeah. We get some some important uh, subplot stuff about about an uh, ancient battle between uh, Balam and uh, Santa Muerte. Yeah, all the stuff that we're, like I like I miss. We're obviously going to be discussing in more detail. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But essentially, they they get back to they're back at the old church and they find their way under the old church into a crypt where they discover Tio Catriz. Uh, the supportive uncle who has been using the daggers and the amulet that goes with them to take four human sacrifices so that he can gain power from it and release Balam into the living world, which would then uh, send all of the uh, previously deceased uh, Bruhex spirits into Shibalba, which is not a fun time. And it would also like punish um all of the living brujex and um, saw that coming. <laughs> Yadriel yeah. um, has to stop his uncle because it turns out that Jules, along with Miguel, were two of those sacrifices. And as uh, Yadriel is trying to stop his uncle, Jules is actually still alive, but he's bleeding out because there's a jag dagger in his chest. And they're like, oh no. Uh, but he does defeat his uncle. Uh, and, but Jules dies. <laughs> Sorry. Jules <laughs> dies and Yadriel is extremely upset. 
and he uh, is able to summon Santa Muerte herself and be like, please save him. And she's like, I'm sorry, I can't, but hey, you got the amulet. Maybe you can do something. And using the amulet, Yadriel is able to save all four of the sacrifices. Yay! But then that kills, that almost kills him. Kills him, kinda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Maritza, who is who has had been choosing not to be a bruja because you it requires using animal blood is able to save him without animal blood uh bringing him back and then everybody gets rushed to the hospital but before that there's this part where all the other brujas come and find them in the cribs and like freaking jules is like protecting Yad, Yads who is like passed out and he's like me querido and like I freaking grabbed I was holding my cat because I was giving it eye drop meds and like it was like me querido and I like just hug my cat to my chest and I'm like oh my god just like it's like yeah okay sorry I'm fangirling but it was beautiful and like even Yad's dad is like oh shit this kid's kind of crazy but fucking that feral I need I need someone like Jules to fucking go feral for me like that anyway everybody's in the hospital and Rio's there and the other kids are there and then Jules and Yad's get reunited and they're like yay let's make out in front of everybody and then they go to uh the Dia de los Muertos. Yad's is finally presented as a, a, an official like full brujo and his community is like hell yeah and his mom's spirit is there being like that's my boy and Jules is also there just whooping and hollering because that's his boy. <laughs> And it's super cute, and this book was a lot of fun, and I hope y'all read it, because I did not do it justice. So oh my. that was our episode. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. What are we doing next time? No, I'm sorry. I know we'll get into this, guys. That, that was quite the summary. Well done. Damn. Well done. <laughs> I think that's the longest summary we've ever had. I think that just goes to show how much Sade loves this book, though. That says something. I should have written down bullet points, but all of my bullet points would just been like Jules, Lucas, precious babies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was pretty flawless. I only have one qualm. You forgot to mention the actual two best boys in the whole thing, and that's Michelangelo and Donatello. Yes! <laughs> I did forget. I had that thought about, I should mention the dogs, but oh man, I, I gotta keep going. I, I, that leaves me room to mention the dogs because my God, do I love those little pit bulls. They're adorable. I love that one of them, uh, was it Donatello or Michelangelo that always whaps himself in the face with his own tail? It's <laughs> so cute. They're perfect. Like they're basically the summarized versions of um, the big, dumb, goofy boys that are already in this story yes. anyway, but they're the dog versions of them. Uh, I love them. Yeah, and I, I like the characters a lot in this. So I will say the best parts about this are basically the parts that Sate squeals about, which <laughs> is, I think the characters in this are very well developed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They all of them have personality. I can s visualize them perfectly. I also, I, I genuinely like the romance between uh, Julian and uh, Yadriel. It it works. It develops very nicely, and mm -hmm. it, it doesn't feel like 
there's never any like, oh, they someone jumps their bones or like goes too quick. It's exactly how you imagine a teen rogue ran supergrass. I kind of appreciate that at the end though, like when they're about to go in the church, uh, Jules is very much like, hey, I, we need to do this like soon. And then Yad's replies like, do this or like, I'll meet you behind the church in five mm. minutes so we can basically bone down. <laughs> Oh, it was the line, right? No, it was like they kiss, they kiss before they go in, and it starts to get a little saucy. And Yad is like, "Okay, later." And and Jules was like, "Are we talking like later, later, or like later in five minutes behind yeah, the church?" To me, that's like, oh man, they're they're. I, it's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy for these two. Yes, I am too. I was too. I just uh, this I, is very this is a very uh, I'll come right out and say it, this is an incredibly fluffy book with some cool world building. Mm-hmm. Not a ton of horror elements to it, although it does have that this, the fun spooky element of being about you know ghosts and the afterlife and um, quote unquote witches and you mm-hmm. know magical powers, but it has more of a fantasy element to it. I'd say. Yeah, I think we knew that going in that this wasn't so much horror, but mm-hmm. aside from like having some you know what could be horror elements that were i think uh we mostly went into this one being like well let's let's do a a good the feel good one or something uh we probably should have read this one for november and instead of december but i'm glad i'm just glad that we we did read it uh because i really enjoyed myself if i have not conveyed that already (laughs) 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 so i was reading the audiobook sorry i was listening to the audiobook while also um, I'm converting our garage into a studio. It's going to be my art studio. Uh, so my mom and I were both in there painting. And I was like, hey, can I put my book on? And she was like, sure, okay. And uh, so she's listening to not the whole book, but like chunks of it with me as we're both working in there. And she was like, oh, there's a lot of Hispanic names. And so I tell her a little bit about the story. And then there's this part where they're, the Brujex are all getting ready for Day of the Dead. And it's a huge thing. So they're making all this food. They're getting all these decorations ready for ofrendas and whatnot. And there was this line. And all the brujas are in the kitchen uh, making tamales. And then my mom yells over at me. What was that about your aunts making tamales? <laughs> my my mom and her sisters all call each other bruja. <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard because that's what we, we not so much anymore, but we used to, on holidays, we would get together and we'd make tamales. God, that sounds so See, good. this book and this podcast are going to make me so goddamn hungry. Yeah, no, yeah. But, but they're definitely like, there's a lot of like uh, little details in this that I enjoyed being Hispanic myself and just in like the the part where Lita is singing to herself and it's like the same she's I think those comment was like the same album every morning and then Lita starts singing and it's like como como na flor and it's, it's like the the Selena song and you like if you grew up with that stuff you like recognize it even just like at the end where like Julian is getting all his snacks for his ofrenda and he's they step outside of the store and there's there's a little vendor selling bags of, of doodles, which is just really fried dough. It's just fried dough. <laughs> like I had just finished a bag of doodles the day before. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, you have to get those. Except the only the only thing against I have against Julian is he don't like lime. He doesn't like limon in his doodles, and I fucking drown mine in lime. <laughs> I, 
I will say I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's just like you're a you are a disgrace to your your culture. Well, then again, basically uh, because uh, of the lack of lime. I mean, Maritza's uh, vegan. Oh my god! I like can I can only imagine the pushback. Mm. Oh yeah, no, meat is a big thing in a lot of our food, especially in like things like pozole. Like it's it's. I mean, if you look at the the, the historical origins of pozole. Suppose that it was like that that wasn't pork shoulder back originally. It was it was like human. Mm. Oh shit. Supposedly. The last one well, that's what I remember hearing, but um So really Tio Catrice was just making human pistol. <laughs> uh at, at the end there. Let's dive into this because I have taken up too much already. Okay. I just wanna I wanted to chime in based on some of the points you brought up because like I think one thing I, I want to talk about real quick is the setting. And I think because it's set in East LA. Yes. And uh, I, that's really cool. And there's definitely elements of that where I'm like, I am totally familiar with some of this, some of the vibe going on. Oh, same. In like, a lot of these places. Like when they, uh, you know, when they're walking through to go find Jules's friends, uh, you know, under the railroad tracks, that like railroad track, like overpass. Yes. Uh, when they um, stop, like you just mentioned, when they stop to get the cart, uh, the, the treat from the like street vendor, I'm like, oh my gosh, you see them. You see, like the nice the street vendor carts everywhere. Oh yeah, in LA, downtown, or where, no, it doesn't really matter where you are. Uh, you'll find them, and they're usually the stuff they cook smells so good. Oh, I've gotten hot dogs from that. You shared one with me. Yeah, it's so it good. So good. Like it was just cool to have um, to read a, a book that's kind of set in our backyard a little bit. You know? Yeah. Like, like Kayla and I don't live in LA proper, but we've very very close. So like before this year, we went to LA quite a bit. Mm -hmm. and, you know, this is this is it's really cool. The, and I like I always like stories where there's like a magical element hidden under the modern day and this is a really cool one to tie to uh los angeles as a as a theme so um i want to get points to, in that respect for actually getting the the vibe of like east la down oh know? yeah it it fits a very perfectly i will say yeah the one i i will say the only people i don't think would would enjoy this um because it's definitely a young adult novel mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is definitely a young adult novel and i know there's people who are not totally for that they're like oh i'm so sick of hearing about high school stories why do i have to go through this coming of age mm -hmm. one and i i can understand that from that point of view but i think what makes it unique unlike other typical teen stories is the flavor the fact that it is from the point of view of a trans boy the fact that it does take place in east la with um an all hispanic cast and that's what really gives it the flavor it does mm -hmm. i actually just recently uh finished another teen book and it followed it was very paint by numbers i'm not going to say what it is but um it was very paint by numbers, very like, okay. And I knew exactly where it was going. With this book, not so much. I wasn't sure who killed Miguel. Where There was parts where I was like, well, okay, they're really focusing on the swords. Why are they focusing on that jack? I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not until later in the book that I realized, oh, no, uh, Theo Cachis isn't. He's there's he's too good. He's mm -hmm. there's too he, they keep making him sound too good to be true. Something's off about him. I think it was for me, it happened in twos in that the second time they mentioned 
like, oh, we need to find these these daggers. I'm like, oh shit, someone took them. And the second time uh, Catrice shows up and is being super supportive, I'm like, it's the uncle. It's <laughs> the, if it's not the dad, then it's the uncle. Yeah. And that didn't ruin it for me that I, I feel like I figured that at least uh, figured out to anticipate that early on. Um, Cause it definitely like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't count it against it in my experience reading it. Cause I was having such a good time. It was kind of like the, uh, when you're on a roller coaster and you see like that, that leg, that big uh, steep hill that you're eventually going to go down. That's kind of what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I will say uh, for me, um, I thought the book flowed pretty well, but it's definitely a young adult novel. It reads like a young yes. adult novel. It has the prose style of a young adult novel, which, you know, especially coming off of, we read a few of those. Like I kept comparing it in my head to Five Midnights just because of that's the, you know, the other one that really sticks out in my head. I will say this book has the right amount of horny where Five Midnights is like, wow. I, what, everybody. I, okay. So, so Five Midnights has the I, I, not to compare entirely because it's not super fair because there are different animals in other ways i mean obviously this is a different coming of age story this is a and and i think what like you said what helps is this is a it's a very different because the struggle it, it handles you know the struggle of i feel like being trans and have, coming from a more uh traditional family what but a- although they do although i will say i do appreciate how at the end how quickly they're they're able to accept him and just it's not like even his even his dad even enrique is like trying his best but he slips up and he's it's like i I mean i i I obviously i I, that's not my experience i don't have that experience but but you do have the dad's experience or the or the brother's experience right because i have a um i mean for not to delve into it too much but i have a younger brother who is trans and I've had to see how my family has had to adjust to him coming out as trans. And, you know, a lot people are, you know, there's, there's times when people in the family are trying to be as supportive as possible, but they will slip up or they will make mistakes. And I know that that's hard for him. He just wants to be seen, you know, as he really is. And uh, so reading this really I thought kind of got that part across and that's something that I was like from the sidelines kind of familiar with. Well, one of the, one of the things that did really sting for me, cause Oh my, is the point when Lita tells uh, Yadriel, you'll always be my little girl. Mm. And, and she means it from like a really like sweet, warm place, but mm-hmm. and doesn't realize how much that actually hurts. Mm-hmm. I, I, I felt that too. Cause like, I'm not going to dive into it because I was like, don't you dare dive into it because then you're going to take up like fucking forever. But yeah, I, I'm in a place with my own family where they they have some idea of like my identity and, and whatnot, but it's f- just fucking family. Like you love them and for the most part they mean well, but sometimes... Uh... Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think the reason, yes, this is a young adult book. It very much reads young adult, but I think for me was the reason I really enjoyed it is because um, I'd never got to read anything like this when I was a young adult, when I needed books like this. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm still going to read it now and I'm going to fucking enjoy it now. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I don't want to say that this, this took away from my enjoyment of the book at all. I'm just saying from someone who's, who recognizes like some of the tropes and some of the ways the the prose (laughs) works, it's got that young adult flavor. It's very 
And I will say it's a very solid entry for a debut author. Oh, yes. Like very, mm -hmm. very solid entry for a debut author. So like major, major props. But At the same time, my I think my one criticism is just like for me personally, I felt like the the story dragged a little bit at the beginning and then kind of picked up steam because it took me a little bit to get into it. By the time I was maybe about halfway through the book, I was feeling like, okay, there's a lot of stuff going on that I, I that, that did pay off later, which I respected. But I just, I felt like for me, it took a while to get to the point where I was really invested. But once I was invested, I was invested. And again, your mileage may vary. That was just my experience with it. Uh, but also since I was going to bring this back to five midnights anyway, I will say both of them have a similar over the top kind of ending, but I feel like this earns it better than five midnights because we've already established the magical element to this yes. universe. So mm. when Tio Catriz becomes the main villain from fucking road to El Dorado, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, didn't, it didn't, it was weird and hilarious that he turned into like this Machiavellian, like, ha, 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 I'm going to destroy the world with my Jaguar God. Um, I'm like, <laughs> for some reason, it made more sense to me than that one guy showing up with a gun. Yeah. When El Cuco is trying to steal people. Like, it, I think it earned its grand finale a little better in this one, even if it was a little silly. Um, and I, I think the part that I was joking with Kayla about later was, what was it I said a couple times? Like, shoulder tech, shoulder tech to Shibalba. <laughs> yes. Because that's basically what happened to, to, uh, yeah, to Steel. He got shoulder checked to Shibalba. <laughs> it was a way Shit. to make the to not implicate the main character in the death of the villain because it was a it was like he stumbled, fell into the the thing, and got eaten by Balam. So, and I, then got shoulder checked to Shibalba. <laughs> I, I will, I, I do agree with say though the book is important for. As, as he stated, this book did not exist when we were teenagers. And right. it really should have. I, I completely agree. And I, I feel the same way with the... There's some teen books I have read. I, I'm not going to lie. I enjoy queer teen books more now than I enjoy typical teen books. And the reason is, I wish they I had this when I was younger. Like, um, I, I, we might... I think one of the books we'll eventually read um, is Saw Kill Girls, uh, which is also another teen horror novel. And it addresses uh, bisexual and lesbian girls. And I'm like, where was this when I was a kid? Where was this when they were trying to figure out there's like sexual identity? And I hadn't like, I was kind of clueless. Mm. And I was glad, I'm glad this book exists now though. Just as I'm glad this book exists because teens are going to read this and be like, you know what? I know how this feels. Mm -hmm. No, this is, this is a fantastic. And I, I am, I'm completely on board with all of you about, about that. Like and, I, it's very, it's important. And not just, uh, I mean, not just being trans and, uh, queer and LGBT, the, the whole rainbow <laughs> thing. Uh, but also, um, for like Hispanic kids or Latin kids that let's be honest, we see white people all the fucking time yeah. on television. Oh, that's books. true. Oh boy. I loved, 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 loved the, um, how it didn't have to explain itself a ton with its context. Like I think for, you know, to make itself accessible for someone who's outside of that community. I mean, obviously this is a community of a brew hex, mm -hmm. but I mean like, or even if you're from outside, like, uh, you know, a Hispanic community, you can look into it and, and, and appreciate it. And like, I loved the details. I absolutely adored the, when we got back to 
the cemetery and it was all dressed up for Dia de los Muertos. Like I was just, I loved how the descriptions were. I loved everything that was building up to that. Like this was, it was so cool. I think the one thing I do appreciate with this book too is it addresses family in two different ways. You have Yadriel who has like his cousins and his um, aunts and uncles and a whole slew of family all together. And then you have Julian who- Who has a found family and that is just as valid and, and beautiful. And like, you can see the compassion there. It does, it, it, it rivals, I don't want to say rivals, but it but it's just as valid, as I said earlier, as, as the, the familial. Because it is, uh, there is a lot of fluffy, nice romantic moments. When the horror parts do happen, they do hit strong. Like, I think the ones that got me was when Julian does suddenly bleed from his chest and you're like, Oh my God, what the fuck is happening? Also when Tito goes maligno. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. That was a great horror action element to that part. Mm-hmm. Big old fight in the graveyard. Got to see the uh, the, the brujos do their uh, process. Because I knew at some point, because they talked about it so much, we had to see at least one spirit go maligno. Mm-hmm. We, needed, we needed that example of like, this is what could happen if, uh, if he doesn't let him go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, I felt bad that it was Tito because he was like described as he's like he just wants to take care of his family, his family. And I was like, oh, not Tito. Mm-hmm. I want to say one thing because I'll probably forget about it because there's nowhere to like interject this. But there's that part. There's this little part. It's just like one fucking line where like the Jules is in the hospital. It's at the end. They're in the hospital. Jules is in the hospital bed, and he really wants to get up and go find Yads. But but his family is there, his his friends, who is his family, is there, and Rio is there, and he's, like, staying in the goddamn bed. And, like, there's this one line of, like, Luca throwing himself on on, on Jules's lap to keep him in bed. And I'm just, like, picturing, like, little, like, tiny boy just going, like, plop, onto, <laughs> and I'm just like, you're so precious, so much. <laughs> Uh, I might draw what I picture Luca in my head. Please send pictures. I want to see that. I will. <laughs> His big oversized green sweater. I want to do fan art for this book, uh, but I'm just terrible at sitting down to actually draw. But hey, it could happen. So I have one more thing mm-hmm. I just thought of. And that's uh, the more mythical, like, historical element to this. Like, the whole mythology about uh, Santa Muerte, about mm-hmm. uh, Balaam, about Shibalba. I, again, I think that it was a good backdrop for this whole thing. I like that that's the origin of the of the, the Bruhex and their magic. Mm-hmm. I think when Lita does her story about it during the, the setup, uh, you know, midway through the book and kind of makes me realize, okay, this is going to be a payoff too. I, I thought it was really cool. But then Lady Death actually shows up at the end. I was a little bit like, this is just me, but I was like, I feel like when making her speak, somehow took away from the mystique of the character. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I felt like her presence and the fact that she looms so large in that lore, having her just be able to like talk to them was odd. I just wanted to know what everybody thought about that moment when she showed up because it was, it was like, wow, this is a big deal, but. Well, she was trying to convey some things like you should use the amulet or whatnot or like this is like you can't undo what's already been done i don't know how like i would have gone about that if i wasn't if she wasn't going to speak but 
Mm. Yeah, that's that's a tricky part because it needs to be conveyed that she can't do anything, but he can. And I guess it, it could be like maybe the thoughts come into his head. I don't know. Could but, have been like vibes or something. Like she could have gestured yeah. or her presence could have spoken volumes. Like, I don't know. It just feels like when, when basically a deity appears before you, I want to feel the impact of that as a deity appears. And for some, I Although, do appreciate, I do appreciate that when they said that she spoke, her voice sounded like it somehow contained the voice of like every ancestor that had ever come before or something like that. Like that was pretty neat. Although they do sh- show that like as Bruhex, they have a strong connection with her. It almost seems like she is watching over them. She, well, like she refers to them as, as, as her, like my son, Yadriel, and my daughter, Maritza. I don't know. Like, again, that's just me. And I realize that I'm, maybe I'm reaching. I don't know. I, I really, really enjoyed this book, but there's still some things about it. I was like a bit. No, I, I think I get what you're saying because she she is made up to be this 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 grand uh, entity. So it, it does kind of make her seem a little more more grounded um, or just kind of more normalized. No, that's not the word. And I get what you're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think we do lose a little bit of that when she's just speaking to them. The mystique of the character is very important, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Especially when the character mm-hmm. is this extra mythic figure, is the gatekeeper of the afterlife, is the this being that grants all the Bruhex their powers. And I, I felt like that scene left me wanting in terms of an impact. But it still had an impact. I just, I don't know what I could tell you different. It helped make it so that Yads becomes the first Bruhex in a long time, in thousands of years, to be able to raise the dead. With Miguel, with Jules, and with the two randos who never get named. <laughs> as, as I mentioned before, it is a young adult novel, and there are the young adult novel tropes there, mm-hmm. definitely present, mm-hmm. and that's not for everyone. There are moments where I'm like, it's too young adult. Mm-hmm. Again, I feel like it earned its ending, its its dramatic ending, a little bit more than than Five Midnights did. Yeah, like if I have to compare, because I will agree with that. <laughs> there weren't any magically repaired friendships that came out of nowhere with a former enemy, like at the end of Five Midnights. <laughs> and I still love Five Midnights. Don't get me wrong; fantastic read. It was it was a a good time for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, a quick read. I actually got through it all pretty quickly. And uh, at a certain point, I was really into it and had a hard time putting the book down. It just took me a little bit to to get to that point. Once for me, for me, once we got to Julian, I was in. <laughs> mm-hmm. As soon as they start describing him, and as soon as I realized he's just a big dumb bummer, I was like, oh, I'm not putting this down. <laughs> Because there wasn't a part where I was like, oh, this is slow. I don't want to keep reading. Because for the most part, it's an easy read. Because as I'm going through, I'm like, okay, it's getting presented quite well. I see what's happening. Oh, that's an interesting moment. I still kept going throughout it. I I think I get what you mean, though, at some parts. Because like where he goes to school, Mm, do kind of slow it down a bit. I think that's the point. When When they're doing things or active. Mm-hmm. then it feels more exciting. But I understand why the school parts are there because it also allows uh, Yads and Julian to develop a relationship. Time is of the essence when it comes to Miguel, when it comes to Jules. And then they're like going to school and they're having these conversations. It's like, 
they have some repetitive conversations in there between, uh, you know, Maritza and Yad's about like, you know, do we know anything about Miguel yet? No. Well, what about this thing? No. And then they, they repeat stuff. And I felt like I was getting like, when do we get the next beat? When do we get to move forward with this part? Cause I felt like that's the, that's the part to me is like sort of between, you know, bind jewels to the land of the living again. And when they start to properly get on the trail and find his friends. And I thought things kind of slowed down for me personally, there were moments in there I really enjoyed, but there was a point where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep reading. Cause I want to know what happens next, but it's, it, it bogged down a bit for me personally. During the school, part. during the school bits and everything. Once they got to Jules's friends, mm-hmm. that was when I was like, okay, cool. We're getting plot. We're getting the main story motivation going again. I just, there was a, there was a lack of urgency that came with the characters. Cause I'm like, I felt like this was like a situation where like, this is, this is bad. There's a ticking clock element in the background. They're just like, well, we'll just, we'll deal with this after school. And I'm like, I had a little bit of that too, where I was just like, why are you going to school? You've got murder on your hands. Like, I'm pretty sure that takes priority over a math test. But it it is also, like like we said, a young adult novel and and, and schools. Like, for us, we've been out of school for a while. So Mm -hmm. we're just like, fuck that shit. (laughs) But, uh, um, you know, for for a teenager who is still in high school, uh, especially if it's, say, the person, the kid reading it is is like Yads who who doesn't skip school. Like, okay, yeah, there's a murder, but I can't miss my math test. You know, (laughs) so I I get, I think that that feeling of just like, oh, why are we wasting time on this? Like, let's get to the story is because... This isn't written for us. We're not young adults. Yeah. We're not teenagers in school. But so. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say it is a young adult book. This might not appeal to all adults. But for the most part, as an adult, I still enjoyed it. And I do recommend it. Yes. Uh, for for me, I, I'm definitely going to get, I want to get a copy of this for my my young cousin, who I think this is about the right age for. And I, I'm going to recommend it to to a couple other friends who who just did, for just the uh, the beautiful queer romance because I need more of it in my life, <laughs> and I know they oh, yeah. do too. So, um, <laughs> is this book for everybody? No, but I personally had a hell of a good time with it. So, mm-hmm. so we ha- do have a couple questions. They're all from Bringer because Bringer was very excited about this book. He 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 read through it very quickly. He's like, I have questions. I'm like, let me finish it first. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a bunch of questions. He told me to pick and choose. So um, I did pick and choose some ones. First question was, was anyone able to guess fairly early what the bad thing was? And I think he means like Tio Catrice and all that. I, I think I was with Sade when Tio Catrice comes in the second time and being all too supportive and a little too goody too, that goody too, she's a little too... Mm-hmm good to be true that's when i was like "Mm." (laughs) what i felt confirmed it for me was that scene where yads saw his uncle uh talking with his father about like we can't stick to tradition we have to try new things and and yads thinks that his uncle is trying to speak for him fight for him and be like you know yads deserves his his uh and he, he should be a brujo. Um, but what I read that as is, was, no, he's trying to convince the father that they should be using uh, the amulet and the daggers and it's it's time to, you know, 
break tradition because they're not supposed to use it. They're mm-hmm. just kind of they just have them to like guard them. So in that sense, uh, which for me is kind of. It, that's what I thought that scene was. And Yads was making that mistake, thinking his uncle was actually vouching for him. And that's why uh, Enrique's refusal to that idea was so like, no, just no, no, no. Because also when like later they're in the hospital and he's like, Maritza explained, you know, everything Catrice did. He, I feel like that was your older brother, dude. Like, I think he would, they would have conveyed, he should have had more, Oh, I've been betrayed by my brother. Oh no! But mm. because Catrice had, you know, been like, "Hey, we should do this," and he's like, "No," he's like, "Oh no, he did his own." I don't know. That was just me kind of reading between the lines. I didn't think about that, but I, that's an actually a really good thought. I thought I thought that we would get that at the end, that his uh, Enrique would be like, "Yeah, uh, Catrice was trying to convince me." into it and then like maybe his father would show up sooner in that ending scene to like and it would be like father and son defeating the evil uncle that's kind of what i was expecting more mm-hmm. but uh i thought we had a, i don't know that's... instead it was cousins cousins defeating yeah. the evil cousins uncle. power cousins for the win my, i would not depend on my cousin like that <laughs> <laughs> oh, neither would i but <laughs> i do I, I adore the relationship between uh yads and maritza like mm-hmm. they are such they're so good and and they're so fun mm-hmm. they have such a close relationship i was gonna say for some reason that the thing with the jaguar daggers and headdress didn't hit me until it literally got to the part where she's telling the story of the history i'm like oh <laughs> that's what's going on and i i feel bad about not reading it more closely but then it all made sense well i didn't either i was like what the f-? i was like what's the big deal about I, these daggers and then i'm yeah it was definitely like, okay, something's going to go on with these daggers. These daggers are a thing. And then when, when uh, Lita tells her story, it's like, oh, okay, this is what someone's going to do. Getting like a Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone vibe a little bit from the end. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so uh, Bringer's second question is, do you think uh, there are or were other Bru- Bruhex, uh that were trans or LGBTQ? Yes, of yes. course there was. Are you kidding yeah, me? And Julian even makes that that argument. Well, like something, especially with Hispanic culture, a lot of like history and culture is passed down orally. Mm-hmm. And if it's something like maybe they they'll be like oh yeah you had this this uncle who was this great brujo but like maybe they're not gonna mention the player that they were trans because they kind of like edit mm-hmm. or it could be or it could be that they didn't differentiate with the language way back in the history and they just said you know the uncle who was a brujo was just a brujo no matter what they were born with you mm-hmm. know and then like the language didn't differentiate <laughs> <laughs> or or the people didn't differentiate. They just accepted it. But in the oral tradition, they didn't make a big deal out of it. So of course that knowledge would have been lost. So I'm with I'm with mm-hmm. Jules on that one. Yes. His third question is um and final question was uh do you think the part where tradition makes being trans seen as going against tradition a broader way about talking about how it's sometimes viewed in the real world? Honestly, I think Yadriel's experience as a trans person is just a general experience as a trans person with a traditional family. I don't think it's just a, a metaphor or anything like that. With all the fantasy elements, Yad's uh, conflict with his family is the most grounded and believable part because that is very much what someone will experience um, in real life. Mm-hmm. 
It's interesting though, because like for Yads, I think the family was, you know, especially his, his father is struggling to kind of still wrap his head around it. But the sad thing is like, you know, he has the ability to do this, this ritual where he, their, their guardian is able to confirm, no, he is male. This is who he is. And not a lot of trans people get that kind of that, like that kind of like extra, like validation. validation. Mm -hmm. So that's significant because once he's able to kind of through the power of this of this magic like reveal to you know his father look i am a brujo mm -hmm. and lady death recognizes it goes even when like yad's got like at the start of the story santa Morte's like hell yeah you're a brujo go do your thing but he <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he still wouldn't tell his family mm -hmm. uh despite Jules saying like, well, why you got to prove it to them? Like he still had to prove it to its family to also prove it to himself that he was a brujo. He had to go an extra mile or, or he felt he had to go an extra mile. Cause it wasn't just, I'm going to show my, my dad, the portaje and be like, this is look, check it out. Lady, lady death yeah. has chosen me. Lady death recognizes me. Can't, why can't you do it? He's like, I have to do this thing where I summon Miguel's spirit and, or free another spirit. And then that's, there'll be undeniable proof at that point. It's like I think it, I think it could be like a metaphor or whatnot for like if you're trans and you find validation outside your family, maybe it's in the, in the community in the trans community, or it's through uh, a pastor that that is supportive or some some friends that are that accept you and understand you, but if you haven't gotten that validation from your family yet. And if, and you are close, and you're from a, a tight knit family community of sorts. You haven't gotten validation from them yet either. Then it, it it's still that validation you did get from those supporting you is not enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's what that is. I'm just glad that in the end, this was ultimately a very hopeful story. It's a story where where his family, his community. Everybody not only accepts him for who he is, but they also are just completely ready to accept also his, his new love as mm -hmm. well. And his loud, super dumb baby love. I love Julian is. Mm. I love him so much. Sorry, sorry. Uh, what a fantastic himbo! I know he's a, <laughs> such a good, good boy. All of them are such he's good. Such good boy. <laughs> him to to that word but yeah he's, he's a immediately what i thought of and i'm like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. bringer does i there is one comment uh this is just a comment from bringer and i think i agree with him on this i don't know spanish and i thought the book did a good job explaining the meaning or giving you details to figure out the spanish in the sentence yes and i completely agree with context that. the context clues are fantastic yeah I, well i speak spanish so that was I didn't really pick up on like, oh, is there enough context around it? I just understand it. That, but that did stick out to me when uh, Santa Muerte started speaking and she was speaking in English and I was expecting her to speak in Spanish. And I was like, oh, well, she's saying a lot. So obviously <laughs> is it is it in English. Is it bad that I wanted her to kind of keep speaking Spanish the whole time though? Like that's just me. <laughs> Like, I would have preferred it just because it makes the most sense to me. And mm. if y'all can't read Spanish, then fucking Google Translate that shit. <laughs> there is enough context clues if she spoke Spanish the whole time. And Yadriel saying, 
or just thinking to himself, oh, I can only I can save them. Oh, wait. I like that's enough. I don't I don't that I mean that kind of happened in earlier bits, but it didn't happen all the time, which was great too. Like mm-hmm. again, uh you get you get just sort of the the context, not always, but enough, and I think that's what matters for especially for people who it's not as accessible mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, everybody in this call, in particular, uh Sade helped consult me when I was writing La Llorona for Midnight Marinera. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really wanted to happen was I wanted that last conversation between uh, the protagonist and La Llorona to be all in Spanish mm-hmm. and not have a huge amount of framing context just because I just wanted it to kind of stand on its own. It's There's that part of me that's almost that wanted that same thing to happen here, but still have the context available. What I really enjoyed about the use of Spanish in, in the story is with Jules in where he... It, he refuses to speak Spanish. And then we learn the reason why is because he only spoke Spanish with his father. And after his father's passing, speaking Spanish to anyone else felt too intimate. And so then when we finally get him to speak Spanish, he's asking Yads for a kiss. And I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I actually noticed that too. And my heart was like, I, I, I kind of fangirled about the part. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's speaking Spanish to him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, no, it was very heartwarming. It was also especially it was it was like heart wrenching when he's dying for the second time, and he's t- you know he's basically telling he's basically telling yeah it's like no it's okay it's okay but it's all in Spanish. I'm like, yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It makes me wish my own Spanish was better. <laughs> Honestly, this book probably is my favorite use of Spanish, like um, in any book and. God, I've read some books. Um, tell me if you've never heard the sentence before. Hola, que pasa? Well, uh, what's that? Oh, sorry. I sometimes mess up in Spanish. I speak in Spanish without noticing. What's up? Oh, God. Oh, my God. I have read that sort of sentence before plenty of times. So I'm like, oh, wow. That is mm, painful. Mostly in fan fiction. But, oh, my gosh. <laughs> No, <laughs> that is so unrealistic. No, <laughs> this feels real. I like that these they use Spanish and don't always translate it. And the way they communicate um, with the Spanish language is perfect. Oh my goodness. I have to admit that I haven't read too many books from, from Latinx authors where I've gotten to see Spanish uh, intermixed in, in the language, in the English text. But it was definitely, when I do get to experience that, it's very enjoyable mm. for me. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't get to read Spanish very often. I don't know. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good about my culture to see it represented. So thank you, yes. Aiden Thomas, for, for just being you and writing this book. Yeah. <laughs> I think he lives in Portland. He does. Or they cool. they do. I'm sorry. Well, no, they. they he goes by they and he, um, according to his Twitter. You can actually follow him on Twitter. Uh, didn't I have one question about a sequel? Oh, um, Bringer asked another question uh, recently. He's like, "What do you think direction the sequel would go in, or something like that?" You get the audiobook from Audible. There is an interview with Aiden Thomas at the end of it. It's like this four minute. The interview, no, seven minutes, something like that. Uh, and he does say in that a sequel would be great to maybe it wouldn't follow Jules and Yads, maybe some other Bruhex. 
um, but that they were interested in writing from Jules' perspective. And we do get one little chapter that is kind of from Jules' perspective. And I would love, this is for just for if there is a sequel, I would love book from Jules' perspective, but I would love even more a book with Luca as the protagonist because I need just all Luca, please. <laughs> I, I genuinely would love um, if, if there's ever a sequel to keep in that world, but then have it from another character's perspective like later on and then just have Yads and uh, Julian in the background as basically boyfriends and popping in and out a different different Bruhex character mm -hmm. maybe that'd be really cool i will say uh there is at the at the end of the book uh aiden thomas does it gets put out there that we are going to get a book called lost in the neverwoods yes i was actually going to plug that because i think you can pre-order the audiobook on uh the audible app already and it is being narrated um, again by the same narrator uh, who did uh, Cemetery Boys. Nice. But do you know if it's related or is it a separate thing? I think it's a separate thing. It seems to be a separate thing. It doesn't say, uh, but, but we'll, I guess we'll find out because I definitely want to keep looking into Aiden Thomas's work. This is making me miss real authentic, like good, you know, food made in LA. All of the best places to get like Mexican food are like from your taco trucks, from those like little like street side vendors, like the best, the best tamales oh, yeah. that I've ever had. We bought from the back of someone's trunk in the, like a grocery store parking lot. <laughs> yep. Trunk tamales. Trunk tamales. Okay. So we are, we have ended the new year or the 2020. Oh, this is, oh. <laughs> we are finally coming to an end. But for we for January, we will be uh, reading Horror Store by Grady Hendrix and uh, delving into the monotony and horror of retail. Dun, dun, dun. Look, look for that. Uh, one of the things uh, I wanted to recommend before we get into our plugs with the holidays, uh, we're all in giving moods. At least I'd like to think we're all in the giving mood. And um, I would like to uh, recommend a charity um, that actually has to do with books called the uh, Prison Book Program, which is a charity that donates books, uh, free books to prisons. And I, I, I completely believe this uh, literature does change people's lives. Mm -hmm. And these, uh, these books can help out prisoners in many different ways, whether it's just to help with the reading or uh, reading books on how to get their GED or um, develop life skills, et cetera, et cetera. And the prison book program helps with this. And one of the great things that you can do, and this actually helps uh, support independent bookstores, is you can go through either Wesley Books or Porter Square Books, uh, which are bookstores nearby where the prison book program charity is located. And, uh, buy a book from the uh, from their wish list and uh, just mark down this is for the prison book program when you purchase it and that book uh, is donated to through the prison book program. So I'll put links in the uh, description, but uh, I would uh, completely recommend that you look into that. Awesome. I'll throw in a uh, <clears throat> a quick I'll throw in a quick little 
holiday request as well. If uh, maybe you 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 wanna you wanna give, but you don't really have the the means to to really donate anything to anywhere, uh, maybe uh, consider doing something at home where you are not using a lot of the like uh, gift wrapping paper that you only use once, or those uh, dumb little Christmas napkins with little Santa on them. Put those away, like. Freaking Christmas is the holiday of consumerism. And I love Christmas. I want to celebrate with family. I love the lights. I love the, the happy stuff. But, you know, maybe we don't need to gift wrap everything. Just wrap it in some, some regular newspaper. Or wrap it in the t-shirt that you're giving them. I don't know. Like, uh, think of what you are using you know, instead of buying new decorations every year, get yourself some direct decorations that are going to last and you can pass down. Um, that is my thing. Can we please save the planet? That's I'm absolutely with you. Oh, yeah. I'm 100% with you. Yeah, we that. have, Dave and I have decorations that we reuse every single year. We, we've kept like every gift bag we've ever been given and we just put our stuff in bags instead of wrapping. My friend Marcos and I, we have a, uh, a birthday card that we give back to each other every year. Uh, instead of buying more cards, <laughs> it's got Darth Vader Aww. on it. Um, <laughs> I love that. So, you know. That's wonderful. Care about your planet. Sorry. Okay. That's uh, that's my plug. <laughs> anyway, happy holidays. We love you. Thanks for listening. Check out, read the next book with us. Check out our other podcasts on the Creative Horror Network. There's a lot of them. It's at uh, creativehorror.com. So check out, check out that website if you haven't already. And also we have a creative horror YouTube channel. So uh, check that out as well. Um, there, I might be putting up the darkly lit episodes on that channel eventually, but. Oh, we should. Why don't we already? Uh, just haven't made the time for it, I guess. Uh, life. <laughs> 2020. That yeah. whole thing. Yeah. So uh, happy holidays, everyone. And uh, be good to each other. Let's, okay. let's not blow out the candle this time and have a little light uh, bring the light with us. Leave the candle burning and, and welcome the spirits back in. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of creativehorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at creativehorror.com. Ha, 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 ha.